This is the only place that talks about how to maximize the output of your SDR team. Every single week, we get insights from the best-in-class SDR leaders diving deep into exactly how we can better lead our teams, constantly increase the output of our management, and leverage the systems that will allow our SDRs to perform at a much higher level. This is the SDR Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Becker. Do not forget to leave us a review and rate us on iTunes. All right, welcome back everyone to the SDR Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Matt Becker, and I'm with uh, William Sparrow, Will Sparrow. Really, really excited to be diving into this. For those of you who don't know Will, he uh, currently has been an SDR manager for uh, about eight months here in Canada, and I know you've got a ton of background in management at a number of different companies. Really, really excited to have you on here, Will, uh, so you can share your insights with with the podcast audience. Yeah, really happy to be here. Right on, right on. Would you mind actually just giving a quick background on yourself? Yeah, happy to. Uh, so I started my sales career um, in a few different places, uh, but uh, largely at a company called Soft Choice, where I was an account executive uh, working in their territory sales division. Uh, I did that for about a year before moving into a BDR role at Salesforce for just shy of two years. Uh, worked on uh, enterprise marketing cloud there, so some big name clients um, focusing again on their marketing and automation thereof. Uh, helped to uh, be a team lead there as well for uh, most of my tenure. Um, and then after that, moved into a AE manager role at a company called Enable, which is a uh, financial tech focusing around rebate management. Um, and since then, have moved into a BDR manager role here at uh, Tipalti, uh, where I'm helping to guide a next generation of uh, sales leaders. And just to confirm, how large is your team for the for context? Uh, so these days it's uh, six. Uh, it can go as high as seven. Um, and on my previous teams, it was around about the same. Gotcha. And it's an outbound team, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. We uh, cover most of the northeastern states. Um, we focus uh, on uh, sorry accounts payable automation uh, within a commercial sector. So uh, sort of SMB. Right on. So guys, today. We're going to be diving into data-driven decision-making, which I know a lot of us, I think, at times think we're making data-driven decisions, but there's a certain level to you know how we're actually going to be analyzing data and utilizing that to make really I mean, what we call high-quality data-backed decisions as you're going on implementing different things. So, well, for yourself, like, what do you think... I guess are some of the principles or frameworks that have really served you well in making these data-driven decisions high quality? Um, I'd say that there's two main uh, tenets that I hold to, um, although I might uh, end up spiraling off into a few more. Um, but uh, primarily, I'd say for the first part is uh, that nothing is true unless it's backed up by data. Uh, in sales, there's tons of subjectivity, and you can't uh, rely on making a strategic shift without having data to back it up. Uh, so you often hear about how uh, rep on some other team uh, was able to book so many meetings by doing one particular thing. Uh, a story that I lived through was uh, where uh, suddenly Vidyard was breaking onto the scene. Um, and Vidyard is a great platform for uh, sending videos to your prospects and uh, sort of pattern breaking, uh, putting a face to the name. Um, it's something that can be really effective if used properly. 
but when it first busted onto the scene, a lot of sales leaders were saying, this is it. This is the make or break. Uh, we're going to uh, change the world by sending every last one of our customers videos. And if you've ever been on the uh, giving end of a vidyard, you know that it takes a lot of takes, takes a lot of uh, effort and time. Um, and what I saw, at least uh, for myself, was that I was investing so very much time into this and wasn't achieving the same results as other people were. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of people run into when their management suddenly has a brand new idea that's exciting to them, tells everybody to drop everything and do it and uh, get going, and doesn't actually see that maybe that first success that was so impactful might have been a one-off, uh, might not be repeatable. Maybe there was some secret sauce to how somebody else did it. And with that one data point, they have now steered their workforce to uh, wasting a lot of their very valuable time. How, how much data do you require before you roll out a decision universally across your team? Um, depends on what I have available, ideally as much as possible. Um, I remember back in uh, university st statistics, though, saying that uh, somewhere around 30 data points is what you need to be able to make some kind of conclusion. Uh, usually, though, a lot more than that is available. So what I try and look for is some predictable trend where I can assign some kind of number value to doing this thing leads to X percent improvement. And that's proven across ideally dozens, if not hundreds of different data points. Um, and that usually gives you a strong enough baseline to make a prediction as to what's going to uh, happen in the future. Gotcha. So would you say like as a rule of thumb, as a minimum requirement, you're always looking for those 30 data points. So if it's not at that point, you won't roll out a decision, but if the more the merrier? Uh, round about, yeah. Uh, it depends on what's available. Like uh, if somebody has sent an email that worked really well by calling out um, the fact that somebody has a dog in their profile picture, uh, well, that's great. Glad that uh, a meeting resulted from it. Uh, but is that enough to say that we should be talking about nothing but dogs in our emails? Should we be reaching out only to people who have dogs in their profile pictures on LinkedIn? That much... Uh, is a little doubtful, and I don't think I could uh, I could make that determination. Uh, but if we, uh, for instance, build out a sequence of uh, messaging that includes that, and that sequence tends to outperform by five or ten percent, then there might be something to uh, all this dog business. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. What other principles? What other frameworks? Uh, well, first, that uh, or was that nothing is true unless you have data to back it up. Uh, but second, being that I try not to trust a single source. Uh, obviously, every company is looking for that single source of truth. But what I mean is that uh, don't base it all on one or on a single data point, even if you have it. Um, so without cross-referencing at first, you might end up chasing ghosts and wasting your time. Uh, for instance, I was trying to uh, guide my team towards uh, some messaging that marketing had used um, and trying to build out some new initiatives around that. Uh, but before we did that, we cross-referenced uh, the messaging that had gone out with the industries that we were trying to reach and realized that uh, while the messaging was effective in some areas, it was uh, really lacking in some other industries. Uh, so if we hadn't done that, we would have been burning a bunch of contacts, sending a bunch of stuff that's irrelevant. Um, and we're trying not to waste our uh, customers' time as much as we're trying not to waste our own. Uh, so if we can optimize our time and think down to what's really going to be effective in this one area, uh, that's what I try and strive for. So don't do it unless there's data and don't do it if there's only one particular data point. Okay, gotcha. Any other like guiding principles or frameworks that you use? Uh, those are the big two. Um, I guess uh, or there's a lot of what I try not to do, uh, but that can often be uh, more important than what you try to do. Um, I'd say those are the two ones, but uh, definitely refining it as much as you can. 
Like you might have uh, run a bunch of reports, cross-referenced them, um, and come up with a conclusion. But then, uh, I guess taking the scientific method and trying to prove yourself wrong, uh, like is there a hole in this that I can find? Uh, because again, you don't want to be burning a bunch of uh, calories on something that ultimately ends up being fruitless. Yeah, definitely. And that's actually a really good point. It, it is likely more known what not to do. So it sounds like, yeah, one, try to maybe prove your theory wrong. Maybe, do you have any other like tricks, tips as far as avoiding making those like low quality data decisions or misinterpreting data, things like that? Because that is one of the things that I think holds back a lot of SDR leaders out there is misinterpreting that data. Yeah, and I think that goes hand in hand with doing things in isolation. Uh, I always try and get other opinions on what I'm doing and uh, try and like have a mini presentation with someone where I explain the thought that went into it. Um, and usually that's enough for me to start realizing that, hey, there are holes in the logic that I had here. Uh, but even if I don't realize it, maybe they will. Um, and that can save you from, uh, I guess, again, managing in isolation where you come up with an idea, you pull some reports and find some things that you think might work. Um, and then you roll it out to your team only to find out halfway through that, wait a minute, there was a fatal flaw in this um, and someone else might have caught it if only I had slowed down and gotten their opinion on it. What are some of the questions you ask yourself to try to prove yourself wrong? Um, I guess in reviewing the logic behind what we've done, uh, trying to add anything that might show that there's an error. Um, Again, like if we're trying to push a custom marketing to a certain uh, region, like how do I know that that marketing is actually going to work? What do I have that can show that it worked in the past? Um, but also diving deeper into it, like is any of this still relevant? Um, like we might try and replicate a marketing program that went out last year, uh, but maybe we didn't read the uh, collateral too clearly and realize that it's talking about like current events or things that are no longer current. Um, so I guess uh, deeply investigating what you've done um, and, uh, again, getting uh, those outside opinions on it. Someone else might have uh, might have thought of something. It's hard to say if there's any one question that you can ask that'll prove yourself wrong. Uh, but going into it with the uh, mindset that I very well could be wrong about this and what is likely to be incorrect here. Do I have the right uh, dates and regions and everything in what I'm trying to pull? Um, or have I gotten a little ahead of myself and found something that looks really good, but ultimately isn't? Yeah, no, it's really good points. I know some SDR leaders have talked about basically using comparables where they'll look at other similar companies taking similar approaches. What's your thoughts on that as far as a second opinion or third opinion? Um, in terms of looking for like lookalike prospects? Yeah, or, you know, another source to back up your decision making. Yeah. Well, again, more data is better, uh, like always. Um, so trying to go outside of what you already have and recognizing that data driven, like there's qualitative and quantitative data. A lot of what I do focuses on the quantitative side, but I sometimes have to remind myself that the more subjective qualitative definitely counts. Uh, so we might have boiled down a sequence to what I feel is optimized, uh, but then I might run it by a sales leader who is, uh, could point out that in their experience, uh, as anecdotal as it might be, nobody would respond to that uh, because the messaging isn't quite right and it doesn't focus in quite the right areas, even though perhaps the data might uh, might point to it being effective. 
Yeah, yeah. So do you ever really use like other companies as comparables? Or is that not usually part of your process? In terms of uh, prospects we're looking at or in terms of uh, processes that other companies use? So maybe as an example, like if you're looking at, you know, hypothetically, I don't know, just changing income for your team, just as an example, and you're thinking, hey, maybe this would be more effective. Would you go and look at maybe another company who, you know, they have an outbound team, roughly this many uh, team members running this kind of business model in this industry and see like what they're doing? Is that usually part of your process? Um, not so much only because it's tough to uh, sometimes get a view of what company, other companies are really doing. Um, in SaaS, the way that uh, I'm working now and uh, the way that a lot of other companies uh, do work, um, the processes are fairly uniform. Uh, like a lot of people are doing the same thing as each other. Uh, so it's hard to find out who's truly doing something special because they probably don't want to tell you about it. Um, but in as much as I can see uh, any like marketing messaging that is going out from them, how they've structured their teams, uh, you can get a sense of who might be thinking about things a little bit harder. Um, and if they're a, a company who's taking off, maybe there's something to learn from them. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So here's a biggie. How do you use data from adjacent departments? I, I think marketing would be a really good place to start with. Like how, how deep into that data do you dive to get information as far as how you're making decisions with your team? That's a good one. Um, so I try and use as much as is available. I think uh, a common pitfall for people is that uh, they don't realize just the wealth of data that uh, comes in from across a whole company. Uh, like in your CRM, you have your marketing, your business development, your direct sales, your customer support. Everybody's feeding information into this, um, and yet they usually only look at the silo that pertains to them. Uh, like the AE teams might only be looking at deals won by AEs, uh, but might not be looking at how business development is sourcing them, how uh, customer success is keeping them on, and what matters to those customers. Um, so for starters, just realizing that no one department knows everything, and the more that you can uh, spread that information, the better. Um, I think about it kind of like uh, self-driving cars in that uh, they are all connected to each other, and the driving experience from one car is given to every other car on the road. Um, and in doing that, like maybe your car has never had to brake hard at a red light, but a thousand other cars have, so your car knows how to do that perfectly. If you can take all the information that everyone in the organization has and probably make a better decision. Uh, so how I use that is uh, in trying to cross-reference across those different departments. Uh, for instance, a project that I worked on was around uh, localized marketing for a, uh, or for a particular team, uh, but trying to push uh, new ads to a particular geography. Uh, so originally we were just looking at, okay, what is historic marketing performance been? Uh, because, you know, that's probably a great place to start. But then started cross-referencing uh, the messaging that outbound teams were sending and some of the business challenges that we were hearing about from our customer success team. And we were able to refine it down from just region-based uh, ad targeting into uh, specific personas and roles and uh, types of companies, uh, which ended up being way more effective than uh, the original marketing had been. Okay, gotcha. So it sounds like, you know, a lot around audience. And and that's, you know, I, I think something that's going to land a lot more on the uh, shoulders of an outbound team. And I'm not sure, have you ever run an inbound team by chance? Or has it mostly been outbound? 
all outbound all the time. Uh, it's always been hunters. All outbound all the time. There we go. So I, I guess also, even just in terms of monitoring the health of your department, because it's one thing to look at, hey, how can we optimize? But even just monitoring health, seeing what's good, what's not. What metrics are you always watching from the marketing department? Maybe like what does your, your dashboard look like if that is something that you have? What are those key metrics that you're always looking at to monitor the quality of what your team is really uh, essentially feeding to well, the departments? There's a few different ways that I score it. Um, so using just straight up lead scoring for starters. Um, when it comes to inbound side, uh, a lot of the a lot of your time is largely just spent uh, going through the junk because uh, a lot of people use their fake emails or uh, wrong companies and titles and all that. Um, so scoring things based off of the intent that a buyer has shown, like are they actually asking for a demo? Are they actually downloading something? Or were they simply potentially erroneously clicking on an ad or on an email? Maybe their email security provider uh, like was checking the health of an email before it went to, or before it allowed it to go to an inbox. Uh, so it was just clicking on all the links. Um, and trying to prioritize your time that way. Um, so in terms or speaking, I guess, purely in terms of an inbound dashboard, uh, the intent is hugely important. Um, also comparing to, uh, or again, previous successes, uh, we know that there is a particular ICP that we have. And as much as somebody's profile and company matches up to that, we should obviously prioritize that more uh, and recognize when uh, the, or when the bad data is coming in, that's simply not worth the time to do because uh, uh, that's one of the biggest things I use uh, data for is trying to optimize where time is spent uh, for my reps. Yeah, and actually with regards to the ICP, how much time do you devote on like weekly, monthly basis to really uh, analyzing that and seeing how that's changing? Um, really like what's working on that and as far as like close one deals, et cetera? Uh, that I have uh, spent a fair bit of time on. Um, one of the bigger projects that uh, I was and sort of continuously work on um, is uh, a calendar of uh, when certain uh, industries and company types are most active. So recognizing that uh, obviously your ICP is always evolving as the business evolves, but over the course of a year, uh, it might fluctuate as to what is actually your ideal customer profile for that time. Uh, so digging into when deals were won and sourced throughout a year, in what industries and in what geographies, um, and using that to guide where time will be spent in the future. Um, the geography portion is obviously uh, important in that. Uh, like thinking about construction in northeastern states, in the wintertime, there's none of it. Um, so people have a lot of free time to devote to other things. Uh, but that's not going to be true for California, where construction season is all year round. Um, so knowing where you are, um, what's important within your region, um, and how that changes over the year is hugely important. Because uh, again, a lot of time can be wasted on uh, on companies for whom it's not the right time. And if it's a whole industry that's having a bad time right now, why have them uh, in your strategy? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So geography being one, what are those other factors you you personally like to use to build that ICP? Um, I mean, uh, industry for sure. Um, the, uh, although industry is kind of too broad of a topic. Uh, so trying to get into, um, like a particular company type within an industry, 
Um, and there are some tools you can use to use that. Uh, for instance, Nix codes in uh, the US, which are uh, just industry codes relating to really specific types of businesses in certain areas. Uh, if you have a lot of deals won or sourced within that particular geography and that very specific kind of business, then of course, let's expand that out and go and look at every other kind of, uh, or every other business that matches that profile. Um, That's interesting, actually. You said uh, Nix codes? Yeah. Uh, How is that? So that is, uh, sorry, the North American Industry Classification System, uh, which I believe is a tax system uh, that the U.S. uses, uh, but I believe also Canada. Um, and it classifies businesses down to very specific uh, labels that you can put on them. Uh, like there would be a code for uh, wholesale pharmacy distributors. There would be a code for uh, like road construction. There would be a code for on and on and on. Uh, so while your broad scale industry focus might say that software is somewhere that we uh, do well in, the Nix codes uh, could get you down to the point of saying like gig economy softwares uh, with certain amount of users might be somewhere to focus. Um, and that is uh, data that you can slice and dice yourself if you know your customers well enough and have uh, the data behind it. Um, just uh, depends on what you have available. Okay, that's a really good insight. Mixed codes. I'm going to use that. What else? Um, I mean, I mentioned uh, time optimization. Um, that is uh, something that I think is undervalued. Uh, a lot of the time, your uh, account executives or the business in general might just say, go after more accounts. Um, and knowing which ones to go after uh, is hugely important. Something that reps do develop a sense about. Uh, eventually, an experienced SDR who uh, had no experience at the beginning of the year, but is now nine months in, will have a generally good grasp of what makes a good uh, profile fit and what doesn't. Uh, but they still might have 30 or 40% of the accounts they're reaching out to be bad fits based on time or based on, uh, again, size, revenue range, uh, particular vertical. Uh, so trying to boil down what is actually good at that time is important. Because every minute that you spend on a company that isn't good for you is time you could be spending on a company that is good for you. And all SDRs and salespeople in general have that they can control is the time and where they spend it. Because you can't make a customer like you, you can't make uh, the economic conditions change, but you can see the <coughs> economic conditions as they change and try and adjust yourself to uh, match them. Yeah, and I think that's a huge point in fact, like, how is it that you go about teaching your SDRs to to optimize, I mean, I guess their time? Is that a lot of it, like, just looking at the data? You know, how do you really teach that to them? Um, I guess trying to teach them to be curious um, and to uh, recognize and value their own time. Um, it's pretty easy for SDRs to be treated almost like the sales secretaries uh, for their account executives. Like you're there to book my meetings and you're there to manage my calendar and want you to reach out to these people and send out 500 invites by tomorrow uh, for this event that we're hosting. And so much of that doesn't actually profit the SDR in any way. Um, so make sure that they recognize their time is valuable in the first place. And that again, any minute that you're spending, sending a bunch of event invites that don't relate to your pipeline generation is time you could be spending generating pipeline. Um, and getting them to think about optimization, um, a lot of that can come down to simply pointing out where time was ill spent in the first place. Uh, like if they uh, 
ran a big blitz on a particular industry and it's really not the time of year for that industry, we can point that out um, and help them to build out a list that uh, will be more effective next time. Um, I guess hand in hand with that though, is just teaching them to challenge the assumptions that they're given. Uh, they might be given a list by uh, sales ops or by marketing saying, here's a list of uh, everyone in your territory who is in this broad industry classification. Why don't you go after them? Um, but with that information, we could boil it down to, okay, what about the particular vertical? What about uh, the particular time of year for specific people? Maybe we can use uh, that list to build out a bigger one that uh, includes uh, information relating to deals that we've won before. Um, so you can sort of refine your list into something that's a, a lot more workable and a lot more likely to be successful because uh, everybody would rather be working less they could. Uh, and if you can give people a list that is going to be 20% wins as opposed to 5% wins, then they only have to work a fifth as much, right? Or a quarter as much. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So time of your vertical... I guess also, do you encourage your reps to consistently analyze their own data mm -hmm. and take a look at that? How do you teach them to do that? How do you teach them to approach it? Um, I guess somewhat by example, uh, because uh, like I'll use my reps as a sounding board for these new ideas as well when I'm looking for that sanity check and second opinion, because uh, they're the ones who are really in the trenches and uh, are living this on a day to day. Um, so they can tell me when things don't make sense. But in doing that, it also shows them that, like, we're all trying to figure this out. This is a giant puzzle that we're all trying to solve. We all have to be detectives in our role. Um, and if you have a question about your territory, there's probably a way that we can come to an answer for it. Um, so trying to teach them to ask those questions rather than just accept what they're given. Uh, because, again, you might be given a list that seems okay. But if you have a better concept and a better question to ask, then we can form a data model that will uh, give you a better answer to it. Right on. Any other recommendations that you'd have for SDR leaders out there who want, want to be able to really optimize their departments, optimize their teams, make better data-driven decisions? Anything else you feel we haven't covered? Um, I heard to, heard to add a generality, I guess, that I haven't already. Um, but I would say, again, don't just accept what you're given and recognize that, like, as much as reps are running their own business within your company, that they're trying to sell and make money for themselves, you are running the business above that and can decide the strategy for it and don't have to simply do what uh, has been handed down from three levels of management above you. Uh, so certainly do those things that you are required to do, uh, but recognize that we can go in any interesting direction that we want. Um, and if you can find a good justification to do it and can back it up with data, most of the time your organization is going to be pretty open to exploring these new avenues uh, for revenue gen. Um, so again, just uh, constantly be curious about it because uh, there is so much data available to you from many different uh, verticals and silos within your company that you can probably come up with an answer to anything you ever wanted to know, like what's the best time of year to prospect this vertical or what kind of, uh, or what kind of personas associated with opportunities are going to be more successful. Like if we have uh, controllers on our opportunities, what's the close rate? And if we have CFOs on our so opportunities, what's the close rate? If we have both, how does that change everything? Um, that can form 
who you're uh, reaching out to when you're doing it um, and ultimately the uh, money that you get. Actually, and on that, are there any tools that you specifically use to track that data, uh, to, to source that data? Any that you really like? Um, I got deep into Salesforce reporting uh, while I was working there and ever since. Um, and I really can't uh, recommend it enough. Uh, something that most people underuse a lot. Uh, they'll pull a list that has like one filter and parameter on it, uh, which can answer some data questions for you. Uh, but if you refine that down to a science and know how to use filter logic and buckets and uh, in-row formulas and everything, you can end up doing a lot of math, which takes a lot of time, uh, but you can get uh, results that nobody else ever saw uh, and can really help you to uh, upskill your team fast. Um, also, uh, like just the general ones that are out there, uh, like the Zoom Infos and the LinkedIn Sales Navigators, this world that most people end up using. Um, there are very deep and creative ways to use that if you spend the time on it. Um, so much more beyond just pulling a list of contacts. Do you, what do you think of using AI tech to analyze the questions being asked on calls? Do you feel like that's like a good ROI? Do you feel like that's too far? Um, it uh, is something that I've used in the past um, and definitely see value in uh, because there are too many calls happening at once uh, for anyone, any one person to ever try and understand them. Uh, so without using AI, you're really working from a limited set, um, like whatever calls your reps want to send you or whatever calls you happen to find. Um, and that can give you a really inaccurate view of the overall quality of the calls that a rep is making um, and can give them the wrong impression of where they need to work. On the flip side, though, I think uh, there can be a bit of a trap in trying to manage too much to what you feel a standard is or what... Um, or what you think the data is telling you. Uh, for instance, it's really often uh, cited in sales that uh, like the customer should be doing 70% of the talking. Um, and if your uh, data is showing that for some reps, they're doing 50% of the talking, then you might try and coach them and say, no, 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 you're talking way too much on these calls. But that is not, or that is one data point. And like I was saying earlier, don't trust a single one. Um, because maybe that rep is so good at having consistent two-way dialogue that flips back and forth that they're actually managing to be really effective in speaking half the time um, and that they're getting a lot of good points across to their customer and their customer feels like they're a good consultant. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that there is a lot to be gained um, and you can get some really broad scale, uh, broad scale knowledge fast. Uh, but like I was saying before, don't rely on just one data point and recognize that there is some subjectivity to it, that if you're just relying on the robots to listen to these calls for you, you might miss something that uh, you would have otherwise had if you were the one doing it and could hear the qualitative side of it. Hmm. Okay. So you'll look at the data and then you'll still go and, you know, look at the qualitative just by reviewing some of their own calls yourself. Yeah. I think you have to look at both. Like uh, listening to a call might give you qualitative information that leads you to ask a data-driven question, and then you'll go and try and find the quantitative behind it. Or on the flip side, you might have uh, a report that seems to be suggesting something weird. Uh, so then you have to go in and listen to individual calls to figure out if that's actually true. Uh, but if you're only relying on one or the other, you might uh, send yourself in the wrong direction. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. What would you say to a younger company, like more you know, in startup land regarding what tools they should really focus on first. Cause I think there's a lot of data to be had, you know, sometimes 
I think there's certain SDR leaders that will opt on the side of using certain AI tech or using certain platforms really in depth. Where do you think people in startup land who have limited budget can get the biggest bang for their buck as far as making or collecting data? And it's a broad question, but if you had any thoughts. Yeah. Um, I think I think you should use the tools that you have um, until you get to the point where bigger and fancier ones make sense. Uh, you could invest in tools like um, Gong or Dooley or all those others that uh, will give you really deep insights to uh, call quality. You could do that right away. But if you have a sales team of three people, uh, you can probably get a good sense of what's going on just by sitting and speaking to your reps and hearing what they do. Um, but where you might want to focus instead, uh, rather than going through those tools right away, uh, again, it's probably just on the data that's already available to you and that you've already collected in your CRM. Because uh, every single day, people are making new calls. That's adding to uh, the stockpile of information you have, as are all your closed ones and all of your uh, post-sales customer conversations, all the interactions you have from your marketing. Uh, so start refining and thinking around uh, the data that you've already got. And then as you scale to the point where uh, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your reps becomes untenable, uh, then maybe start looking into uh, getting robots to help you along with it. There's certainly value in uh, tools like the one I mentioned for giving you those insights you might not have thought about and uh, like coaching more towards industry standards. Uh, but until you figure out what's good for your company, it's hard to uh, say that you should change to be like anyone else. Hmm. Yeah. So for you personally, what's your uh, like favorite tech stack? I know we've mentioned Salesforce, uh, you know, having deep analytics on that end. What are the other tools you really like to use? Um, I think a customer database is indispensable. So whether that's SalesNav, ZoomInfo, a mix of the two, or some like them, uh, like you're not going to be able to uh, do it the '90s way and just call into every company and ask for their uh, or ask for their controller or their IT manager or whatever because they're not going to give it to you. Uh, you got to know who you're after, and you got to be able to tailor your messaging to them. Um, I'd say if the company is big enough and the sales team makes sense, having uh, some kind of uh, call uh, quality assessment tool, again, like the dualies, gongs, choruses, whatever you want to use, uh, is definitely going to be huge. That can be a major uh, way to understand trends across your whole sales team, as well as trends within a particular rep. Um, having some kind of uh, calling system back to, uh, or outreach system to your uh, CRM, uh, like outreach or sales loft, uh, that is definitely huge because uh, you miss a lot when reps are just using desk phones um, and that isn't properly recorded. And if you can't see everything that's going on with a prospect in one place uh, and plot out the outreach that you're doing, that's going to be tough, um, especially for the sequencing and cadencing that outreach and sales loft give you. Uh, managing the kind of pipeline that uh, SDRs are trying to manage where they have 500 people in, a se in sequence at one time you cannot manage that from a spreadsheet or from calendar reminders. Like you need something that is going to automate the tracking of that and give you your next steps as you go along. Uh, those are the ones I'd probably consider indispensable, uh, but there's lots of others out there. Like you need uh, sales learning tools and coaching tools. You need, uh, or you need pretty much everything uh, once you get to a big enough size, but I'd say those are the uh, fundamental ones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. Actually, this all has been really, really helpful. Really appreciate you taking the time to hop on and talk about this deep dive into uh, the data here. 
is always a really, really good thing to do. So really appreciate you hopping on, Will. Um, if you're curious with regards to the Knicks codes, what we're going to do is we're going to drop a link to that down below. Will, where can people find you if they have specific questions for you? Um, I can be found a lot of places uh, on LinkedIn. I'm uh, or My uh, LinkedIn tag is WJC Sparrow. Um, I can be found uh, for, uh, on uh, like uh, Instagram or uh, Twitter, even if you want. Uh, but uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to go. LinkedIn, okay. Is it cool with you if we drop the link in the description to your LinkedIn profile? Yeah, happy to. Right on. Yeah, really appreciate you hopping on, Will. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you guys got a couple great points out of this. If you did, head over to iTunes, drop us a rating, drop us a review. Let us know what your thoughts were. Let me know what you'd like to see moving forward. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I do check those quite regularly. So if you want to get in touch with Will, we'll drop his LinkedIn down below. You can definitely send him a message. And also, if you want to check out those Nix codes, I'm going to drop a link where you can check out and learn more about that as well as far as industry analysis. So that is a wrap. We'll see you guys in the next one. Appreciate you tuning in.